0: Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of gambling wrecks. Welcome back to episode number 78 of Unblocking Crypto. Al, great to see you again.
1: Good to see you, bud.
0: Hey, another interesting week in crypto. And while it hasn't been nearly as climactic as some of the other weeks, there's still a lot of really interesting things happening And first off, let's talk about regulation and regulation has been kind of one of those themes for 2023 and there's been a couple of bills that are being talked about in Congress. The first one that did officially kind of move on to start to go to the the House is what they're calling the FIT 2023 2023 bill, which I think stands for financial innovation and technology for the 21st century, which is exciting because the big thing from that bill is it is giving the cdf cftc the ability to regulate crypto it's kind of one of the big things There's there's a bunch of other things in there too right but it is something that the republicans i think have started and i think it's going to have a difficult time getting through the senate just because there's a ton of democrats that are just pushing back on crypto in general but it will change the way things are happening because Everybody is tired of the SEC thinking that the rules that were come up came up with 100 years ago still can handle what's going on with crypto.
1: Yeah, and I think that bill also gives them clarity on you know what what they're still not really firm on is this a security or is this not a security, but it does give them a direction on who their regulator is. Whether it's the SEC or the CFTC, and I, that'll help. This, I'm not confident that the government has what it takes to do this in years to to regulate to properly regulate regulate this. And as slow as they've moved so far, and I will say things are picking up. Uh, we've talked about this all year that it's it's kind of every week there's developments in regulation. I listened to a podcast and they interviewed a guy who's essentially a lobbyist for, for a crypto group. And he's pretty positive about people coming around to it. And he's only focused on people that are either like neutral on the subject or, or leaning that way or towards it. Anybody in Texas, Florida, some of these states that have started to realize the benefits of it. And he's like, we don't even talk to Elizabeth Warren. It's a waste of time. We'll just wait for her to cycle out or age out or whatever. It's not either she's in the, the, the banker lobbyist pockets or whatever. And so th- they've abandoned that. But his his philosophy was there's there's enough people in, in the Senate, in the House, and the staffers are mostly young people because they don't get paid much and they're just there to do the Washington, D.C. scene and see if it's for them. And he said that the staffers are much more re- open to crypto. So his, his impact or his stance was, this is pretty favorable. And I think if that continues to to roll on, we'll see regulation that makes sense, but it might, I mean, if, if it takes one year, that's lightning fast in government terms and it's an eternity in crypto terms. So I don't know how this works out.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you heard, but the SEC had asked Coinbase to delist every crypto coin except for Bitcoin.
1: I did. I read it. was a Financial Times article. I read that article. It was, I was like, the SEC asked you to wipe out your entire business model. And it was funny because it was like, we, it wasn't, we received a formal notice that outlined X, Y, and Z. And, And they had a lot of Brian Armstrong quotes in there. I think my favorite one was uh, that Brian or Brian Armstrong said that the SEC was like, we're not going to explain this to you.
0: Yeah, exactly. They asked why and they said, well, we're not going to explain it to you. We just want you to do this. And Coinbase is like, well, I think we'll have to take this to the courts because if we do this, this allows you to go to every other exchange out there and just completely wipe out crypto in the US. The Inter- whole industry would be dead. Yeah, what's interesting. So there was another... Act, I guess, the Clarity for Payment Stable Coins Act that has somewhat stalled inside of Congress. And a lot of it seems to be uh, a certain Democrat out of California that is just completely against doing any sort of regulation, saying it's way too early. And what the crazy part is the decision at this point isn't really a no versus yes on stable coins. It's whether You allow the US to consider, can can continue to be the hub of it, or does the rest of the world become the hub? Right. So, right now, the only thing that is hurting uh, us having some sort of stablecoin regulation would be Tether would not make as much money as they're making, (laughs) right? Which is a US based company that isn't regulated at all. And even Binance has kind of come out and they said, we don't use Tether because it's a black box, no one knows what's going on. That's why we, they use their own stable coin. And I know it's not as big, but it seems like Tether is doing a good job of convincing maybe the US not to do any stablecoin regulation because it'll hurt their profits.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, stable coins are happening whether the United States regulates them or not, because there's so many countries that want access to US dollars. It's almost like the Euro dollar system, except for it's cranked up and modern. So every country that has a crappy currency, which is a lot, right? We saw Turkey, Lebanon, the normal Argentina. ones, Venezuela, Argentina, and in tons of African countries. You saw, you know, these these food protests in Indonesia and things like that. And so, the, the, you know, their currency is a, a huge problem. So there's hundreds of millions or over a billion people that have a currency problem right now. If they can get out of their currency and into U.S. dollars, that is like a safe harbor in the storm for them. So their currency continues to get deteriorated at a way faster rate than the U.S. dollar. And then when they need to buy groceries or whatever, they can quickly convert from a stable coin back into their local currency and then go buy stuff. Maybe they doubled their currency. Their buying power may stay the same or be decreased a little bit, but they're not losing half of their buying power because they can park it in a stable coin and then flip it back instantly into their local currency. There's no other way to do that. If you go a lot of these people don't have access to US dollars period and if they did it would be on, you'd, you'd have to be a wealthy person anyway in order to have to pay the the fees to transfer into US dollars and back into the local currency. So for me the stable coins are happening. There's there's too big of a market for stable coins and that use case of all the crypto stuff outside of bitcoin the stable coins are kind of a no-brainer business model even if you're talking about i can't remember the market cap of heather but if you put all the stable coins together the the market cap is something like bitcoins right and so it's this the combined stable coin market cap is huge And people are just sort of starting to get used to using them. And it's probably just early adopters. So that that market's big enough to where if you made a quarter of 1% transaction fees or something, the business works great because you don't need 10,000 employees to run a global stablecoin currency exchange operation. Like you need a small group of people that are developing and you need people buying and selling whatever you're whatever you're backing your stablecoin with, and you need like the regulatory people or the clarity people sitting down monthly transparency notices that say how much you how many assets you have and what your your liabilities outstanding are. And so it's to me that one is super easy to see the value on and and that's without any of the other use cases of stablecoins, right? And they, I think when the stable coins first started, it was, they were nice to have when you were trading Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies because you could park it in a US dollar equivalent without having to go back to your bank and then back out to the exchange. So you could just let it sit on Coinbase or Binance or whatever in a in a tether and then bounce it right back into some other crypto to, to basically trade or speculate. But that's way different than, yeah, my, my lira is dropping at 10% a month and the US dollar is dropping at two or three or two or three percent a year let me park it in us dollars and and at least i can afford bread and milk so i i think stable coins are are going to happen no matter what
0: well so you talk about early adopters using it and kind of the market size and things like that just to kind of level set everybody's almost expectation at this point today there's 10 million people using crypto right which is a lot coinbase just kind of came out and they said in the next decade they expect 8 billion people to be on board or on chain right and with the amount of cdbcs and everything up happening that's an 800x increase from where we are today <laughs> right so, so you I mean, said you said 10 million people using crypto
1: I think that number is wrong because I think you I think coinbase has over like 100 million users So I I think we need to become, I think that the crypto number is somewhere in the 100 to 200 million from what I saw, because it's basically Coinbase. And then, you know, you add everybody else up and it's something kind of like Coinbase. But we'll we'll come back to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it was a a, one of the Coinbase chief technical officers or whatever kind of came out and said he's expecting eight billion People by the end of this, but in the next decade, right? And whether it, whether it's ten million or a hundred million, right? It's still a huge increase from from where things go. And what's interesting with all that, there was also a a BlackRock twenty two report that came out that talked about what their recommended portfolio was. And I couldn't find it, although it got a little bit of news from a handful of people, including Plan B but what they said on there was that their recommended allocation was 84.9% bitcoin 9.06% stocks and 6.04% bonds which one is kind of kind of crazy but just if that did happen and if you look at the the total global market for all assets it's like 800 trillion dollars so that would put bitcoin somewhere around 100 190 million dollars a, a Coin right so um, yeah you combine the, those two last stories together and you get the most <laughs> massive bull case because eight billion people
1: eight billion people ten years from now would be like eighty to ninety percent of everybody so that but it's one hundred percent of everybody that has money that matters so it's basically all people that have you know more that live on more than three dollars a day are using crypto and then anybody with investable in, investable assets has. 80% of their money in Bitcoin. That would be the bullest of bull cases. Like the, some of these guys talk about, you know, the, the Bitcoin standard, or the Bitcoin hyper Bitcoinization where everything's in Bitcoin. That would be, that's where you are at that point, which would be, that's fine with me. That would be, if there's 8 billion people in 21 million Bitcoin, you know, you're talking about a fraction of a Bitcoin per person on average. And that would put the early adopters in a great spot.
0: Yeah, so Plan B kind of mentioned that it's a no brainer that BlackRock is saying this and trying to buy a bunch of cheap Bitcoin at this point, right? If they really see Bitcoin going anywhere near that. So, I mean, yes, it would be great if it does. Is that happening anytime soon? Probably not.
1: Oh, yeah, like <laughs> that's one of those, like you you want to forecast things and you want to miss low, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, yeah, okay, yeah, I could see Bitcoin being at $100,000 of Bitcoin in five years. If it's $400,000 of Bitcoin, you're like, okay, I was right. But if you say 500 and it only gets to 400, you look like a dope.
0: To me, I think the interesting piece is they see Bitcoin as one of those assets that has just huge potential ROI, like way more than stocks and bonds, right? So whether it really gets to 190 million or just goes to even a million, right? I mean, it, even if it goes to a million, there's nothing in stocks and bonds they are going to do anywhere near that in the next decade. Yeah, unless maybe some AI stock comes out of the woodwork and goes crazy. But finding that got, right now is difficult. Pick the right stock, yeah, you know, finding like you could, difficult.
1: AI could crush it and you could invest in 10 AI stocks and your 10 go to zero and the other 10 that you didn't pick blow up. So, yeah, it's, it's that's you, you, you could get into an ETF or whatever, and it's going to own all the ones that tank and the ones that succeed. So your returns aren't going to be nearly that good. Everybody, it's easy to look back on a chart and say, "Oh, if I would have invested in the Amazon in 1999, I'd be, you know, rolling in it." But yeah, when you're ridiculous. actually when you're actually living it, you're, you're, it's not that easy.
0: So some other kind of exciting news, um, it's exciting, but just almost helps you understand if you step back for a second. Ethereum just had their eighth birthday on the 30th of july so which is crazy to see where it is today right i mean it's only eight years old and it's there's not many things that get this much activity in eight years right so it's bitcoin is what are they 14. yep all right yeah Yeah. just over 14 about maybe 15. so i mean it's ethereum still six-ish years behind so it's this is I mean, and then everything else after that is <laughs> even newer. Yeah. Ethereum's right. like the number two guy, right? So it this is still a pretty young industry in general. And when you kind of step back and look at it that way, you're like, holy cow, in eight years, look what's happened. <laughs> yeah.
1: So Yeah, and, and with the adoption curve, you know, six, eight years is a huge difference. You know, Bitcoin had a huge head start on things. Yeah. Ethereum attacks things from a totally different angle, but that that six years is a big deal.
0: Yeah, so the other thing that is kind of interesting, WorldCoin just launched a few days ago, I don't know if you, I know we've talked about that in the past, but what's crazy is they have signed up, I think over 250,000 users in the first couple of days. And, and for those of you that don't recall what WorldCoin is, it is pretty much scanning your iris <laughs> to create a fingerprint on the web to justify that you're a human and not a robot uh which is just a little scary in general but because of worldcoin going live optimism has finally overtaken arbitrum in traffic for the first time in, in over 6 months because worldcoin has been built on optimism one of the ethereum layer 2 so crazy that's that's happening and now at the same time France and Germany are starting to investigate WorldCoin to see really what's happening. So it's I'm kind of happy that they're, they're doing that because I don't know why anybody would be doing WorldCoin, but in a lot of countries, they're giving you free French fries or airdropping tokens or something just to have you go scan your iris.
1: Imagine if they said, all you have to do is provide us your fingerprints and we'll give you an airdrop of $5 worth of WorldCoin. And then that's essentially what they're doing by giving you an iris scan. It's wild. That's not worth the $5 worth of free tokens. So, no, WorldCoin, again, there's like a huge percentage of the population that'll just do whatever, and they're going to get swallowed up by that. The likelihood of WorldCoin being successful is not very good. Yeah.
0: So other crazy news going on out there. We haven't really talked about SPF very often, but he just had some charges dropped by the U.S. government. Yeah. Uh, Did you hear about that?
1: Yeah, it happened on a day when they pumped some other news story and dropped those. There was uh, campaign finance charges.
0: Yeah, so apparently it has something to do with him donating money to government officials, but because he was not accused of that during his extradition from the bahamas then there's something in the law that says he can't be charged for that so they eliminated those charges there still are a bunch of charges against him for fraud and all kinds of other things too but they are now dropping him being able to what submit 78 million dollars to campaign donations or something like that just to the democrats that doesn't include all the republicans
1: the, the rest of the charges I don't think would require him to expose who he. Donated money to in discovery, so it's weird how that works out.
0: Yeah, kind of convenient and then not that I plan on using this anytime, but Tesla is accepting Bitcoin again. I don't know if you heard that.
1: I did not hear that. I don't know how the algorithm
0: didn't give me that Tesla and Bitcoin. That should have been like right at the top of the list. So it is a, it's kind of tricky to go find it, but you can definitely search to see how to use your Bitcoin to buy a Tesla. So it it, it was almost quiet how it came out, but But I didn't
1: hear about it. It's quiet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's back to Tesla accepting it. So, and, and I think Elon Musk has even come on and said that Tesla, SpaceX, and maybe one other of his companies all have bitcoin on their balance sheets
1: oh yeah yeah i know that when tesla bought bitcoin and put it on their balance sheet then there was a lot of speculation because spacex and everything else is private they don't have to disclose anything so they're like he probably has it and now that twitter's private as well he wouldn't have to expose anything but how many people do you know that bought a little bit of Bitcoin and then stopped completely? Like, that's not something that happens. So it makes a lot of sense that he's got a little bit of that um, the Bitcoin barbell investment strategy where you load up on some high-risk stuff and then some low-risk stuff and you don't worry about the stuff in the middle. And I'll, so that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So there's actually been some NFT news here lately too, which is kind of interesting. The first one is Sandbox and the British Museum have announced a kind of a partnership to bring some of the art from the British Museum into the metaverse. And so the British Museum was founded in 1753, which is kind of crazy. What's even crazier is they've already had three collaborations with NFT projects. This is not their first time in it, which is kind of cool. They expect it it to happen. I'm not sure when it's going to get rolled out. But it will also include some original NFT drops from some of the art from the British Museum. So it's kind of cool that they're doing that. It'll be kind of interesting to see what happens. The the only crazy part about Sandbox is they're about to have a token unlock (laughs) coming up this month. That is going to unlock pretty much about just over 17% of their circulating supply. <laughs> so it is a huge amount that's about to get dropped onto the market and nobody's very excited about it. So, I mean, you almost have to expect a price drop at some point here in the near future for them.
1: Yeah, I had a conversation with someone who's very artistic and teaches at an art college, art, art, art right? So I'm an engineer and technical. And so we're just talking, we rarely talk about things that are that bridge the gap between the two. Normally, she talks about things in her world. And I listen, and I talk about things on my side, and she listens, and we kind of have that appreciation for each other. then somehow a third person brought up NFTs, which she was very against. And I couldn't help myself, but I I brought up how while they're not good at it now right it, it, this innovation thing takes time they got to try stuff It fails they'll figure it out eventually but how an art when a piece of art gets sold and the artist makes pennies and then that art takes off and then the person who bought it sells it to someone else and you know 100 a thousand x is their their investment and the artist sees none of it i kind of just gave her the idea like nft's could send some royalties back to that original artist and still still against it. Like didn't like it. She's like, artists aren't in it for the money. And I, I was like, okay, if you don't see value in that side of the NFT. So the NFTs are wild. Some, some people are just going to be against them forever and even if they're in their best interest, you know, like so, some people are scanning their irises for WorldCoin. Some artists won't use NFTs even though it would help them fund their ability to make more art so the nft and art world i think just have some incompatibilities right like there are there are places where people just won't pick them up it's like boomers and bitcoin it's like some of them they like it they're into it and they've they've lived long enough to see oh the internet didn't exist when i was a kid and now it's everywhere and i like it Uh, but bitcoin no thanks right i don't want to have it i don't want to touch it and some of them are like yeah Bring on the new innovation. I'm on a piece of it this time because I missed the, I missed investing in Amazon and Facebook, and so I think there's an uphill battle in, in the art side. But if museums are starting to use NFTs, maybe they start whittling away. I mean, that's, you know, it takes time. You either change people's minds or you just outlast them. Like those are the two options.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I mean, people apparently is using it to his advantage, selling NFTs for sixty-five million dollars plus. <laughs> yep. and, and Those NFTs
1: are probably not worth anything anymore.
0: Yeah. I mean, you might not be in, in it for the money, but if you do something like that, you don't have to worry about money <laughs> after that. You can do what you love, right? It right. Kind of enables you to focus on your art.
1: Yeah, you can give that money away. That's okay. You can if you if you're that kind if you're that artistic that Damn. you don't want money and it's bad for you. You can give it to people that you want to have it instead of people that you don't want to have it, and why, what's wrong with that? So now it's you know NFTs are strange. I think like so, a lot of crypto people are against them, a lot of non-crypto people are against them, and I don't. I, it's it's it's. Cur- I'm curious to see how this goes.
0: Well, so speaking of NFTs, I mean volumes are like record lows in the past two years on on sales. In the last 30 days, Ethereum has about 336 million of NFT sales. Number two on the list for NFT sales is Bitcoin at like 94 million. Number three (laughs) on the list is Solana at 67 million. And Polygon is number four at 25 million. So one, it's interesting Bitcoins up there. Two, it's interesting Solana's ahead of Polygon. But one of the things that we're seeing is Polygon has made this big push that what they're calling opos only possible on solana Mm. solana got a very negative press after the whole ftx explosion since ftx was one of the the big reasons that solana kind of took off so a lot of people expected it to die it seems to be coming back there's still a lot of people that are kind of focusing on it But what's really interesting is that if you look at Solana, some of the advantages they have are really low gas prices, high uh, transaction throughput, and then they're able to do um, compressed NFTs, which for an NFT space, what that enables you to do is really go after a couple of really interesting use cases. Because if you look at a million NFTs If you do that on Solana versus Polygon, it's about 2,400 times cheaper to do it on Solana than Polygon. If you do it at a billion NFTs, it's 24,000 times cheaper. So when you start thinking of a lot of these huge gaming, like the massive multiplayer online games, they can create all these NFTs and and give them out to everybody. And if they can do it a lot cheaper, it makes it a lot easier. And then you're also seeing um, a lot of the art kind of stuff take off where if you're able to create NFTs a lot cheaper from art, then that helps out. But yeah, so just from a, a cost perspective, if you do a billion NFTs on Polygon, today the cost is $50 million for 1 billion NFTs. For Solana, that same price is $11,000.
1: <laughs> as long so, as Solana is operating at that time.
0: Well, I think they they announced something that it was, they had gone like six or eight months of being up the entire time.
1: Wow, that's <laughs> so, got to be a record.
0: Yeah,
1: Because <laughs> I've only been around for 36 months or less, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's sad that it's like six months is, is impressive at this point when Bitcoin is going on. 14 plus years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 99.99 whatever percent uptime. Yeah. so, but I mean, shoot that, that definitely changes, I mean, we've talked about gaming and I think gaming is going to be one of those things that brings on a ton of flares. If Solana is that much cheaper, then it allows gaming to really change the way they're, they're doing things and create more NFTs that are easier to move around and and give to people. So um, exciting to see. We'll see yep. if Solana continues to survive and if they can continue to keep their doors open consistently.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Gaming is has the opposite opposite problem, or they have they don't have the problem that the art world has in that the gaming community is more tech oriented and more competitive, which I think is good for good for crypto. And so I can see them adopting things on a much bigger scale.
0: Yeah, from our perspective if it's down it's okay like it's not the end of the world from gaming when you're in the middle of a game if the platform goes down that's a problem <laughs> right people aren't going to want to continue to play on your platform if you can't keep the game running day in and day out so
1: yeah so if we want to circle back to some macro stuff that i picked up on the yeah. so bank of japan's been doing yield curve control for a long time because they're in trouble like their debt her GDP is in a bad spot, all these things. So they started to back off of yield curve control. And then two days later, they had to crank it back up. So they're in trouble and they can't stop being in trouble. And so if you look at, so if you're thinking about sovereign debt crisis, death, debt spiral, all of the stuff that the macro doomer people are talking about, you need to keep an eye on Japan because they're probably the canary in the coal mine. And so, while other major Western countries aren't doing yield control or yield control yet, yield curve control yet, Japan has been for for quite a while. So we'll see how that goes. The other thing,
0: well, their debt to GDP is is somewhere in that like one hundred and eighty something percent, right? Something yep. crazy. Where where the U.S. is. I think just getting over 100% right now. so we still got a little ways to catch up to Japan.
1: Correct. And, you know, we're doing these interest rate hikes and changing things up so that we're trying to flip that ratio and essentially inflate away that debt because a lot, some of the debt's fixed long term. So if you inflate your currency, your GDP goes up a lot in nominal terms. So 10% inflation. Country companies have to do 10% in order to break even and keep their buying power and their, their, their real net worth or real market cap to be the same. And so you can inflate your currency and decrease your debt to GDP ratio. And so that leads right into the Fed announcing another quarter point interest rate increase after last meeting, they paused their increases which I was I think it's weird that they that they'll cha- they'll change the interest rate a quarter of a point after pausing. The quarter point doesn't make a difference either way. It, it's not going to change anything really. So I don't I don't see why they wouldn't just stay paused and, and instead of creeping that number up more. So I'm not um not sure the the indic- the market indicates that there'll be one more rate increase before they stop and then start decreasing again. So that'll be interesting to watch, but the quarter point increase, it was just, it was not news. Like no one covered it. It wasn't some of these other interest rate increases. It's like everybody's on pins and needles waiting for the, the FOMC to announce what they're doing with their interest rates. And this one just kind of passed by. Nobody even talked about it. I don't know that it makes any difference other than, indicating that they're not lowering rates right now so at the very least the next meeting would be a pause and the one after that would be a decrease inflation's inflation is reported to be three percent unemployment hasn't gone down or or up it's just pretty much pegged at three percent and so they're they're the fed and ex-fed people are starting to think that the phillips curve is broken where interest rates and unemployment are inversely correlated. So they don't know what they're doing and they're not getting the results. They thought they would, they thought we'll raise interest rates. We'll force a recession. We'll companies will go out of business and people and companies will fire people. And that'll drive up unemployment. That'll slow the economy down and have the intended impact on inflation that we want. And so, that's not really happening. They've had the highest increase in rates ever, and they're holding them high, and it isn't impacting the economy the way they thought they would. So it's maybe they're just in a little bit of a holding pattern, like we're getting some of what we want by raising rates. Maybe we just need to keep them up and, and float around here. But they're right where the interest expense is, is going through the roof. You know, a lot of this interest expense is is long-term bonds, 10, 15-year bonds. But a lot of it, like over 40% is one to two-year short-term bonds. And so those bonds roll over. So two years ago, maybe that was at 4% interest or 3% interest. Now they're being repegged at 5, 6% and so our the interest expense for the government's going up significantly as those bonds roll off and get reinvested or rebought at 5 6%. So it's curious to see what happens here this to kind of ramble on further. This is why they took the debt ceiling away and they just pegged spending on things because this increase in interest expense has resulted in an interest a, a increase in the deficit and the national debts up 1.8 trillion in the last eight weeks since they did not cap the interest expense they capped military spending and they capped all the other spending so that it doesn't grow but the interest the cost of borrowing can go up as much as they want it to
0: in Well, it seems like most of this is going to flow back into the stock market a lot of times because the S&P is about to hit or getting close to hitting a new high again. I mean, it's wild. It it doesn't make sense with what's happening here, but we're in new uncharted territory, that's for sure.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I, I really rocked the boat when they shut the world down for COVID. And like, we're still riding the wake of that. And they're not smart enough to realize that things are different. and. They got to figure it out but they're not trying to figure it out they're trying to do what they did 40 years ago that sort of worked
0: and i don't think it's gonna work you see relying on rules that were developed many many years ago before crypto was ever around thinking that the same rules can affect those same things so yeah it's a lot easier to say hey we tried to use those old rules we
1: tried to use those old tactics and it didn't work that's you know that's not our fault instead of hey we came up with this new tactic because we have this new problem and it didn't work it's completely our fault (laughs) so they're in it's in their best interest to use old ways that won't work goodness well it'll be
0: fun to see what happens always it's just it rolls out slower than you think government has not been known for moving fast that's for sure yeah (laughs) cool well anything else
1: that that's it for me
0: Fantastic. Great talking with you, as always, Hal, and we'll chat again next week. All right. Thanks a lot, Jason. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers, I've created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.